0: You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we surveyed the books of the Bible one book at a time. We are currently in the book of Romans, uh, Paul's classic New Testament book on justification by faith and all points in between. I don't know why I just said all points in between, but what I mean by that is there's a lot more in it than just justification by faith. But that seems to be the peg that everything is hanging on.
1: Yeah, and that's how we outlined it. Yeah, well, it, it better be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully that is the peg.
0: <laughs> so we are we're going to cover a vast swath today, um, going from three twenty-one to the end of chapter five.
1: I don't know what a swath is.
0: I don't either. I've just I've heard that said a lot. And
1: I've literally never heard that good. term before. Um, learn something. You learn.
0: You learn something on this podcast, Andrew. Even the hosts learn <laughs> with you, audience. So. We're going to uh, encounter this part of the Book of Romans. It's a it's a lengthy, you know, ambitious project that we've got today, but I think it can be done, and and it should be done because these chapters fit nicely together and help us in our outline. So I'm going to let you take over without taking up a, a whole lot more of our reading time here, Andrew, and give you all the time that you need to get us a good foundation. For our thoughts and our applications that follow
1: Got it, so I'm going to get us into the swath here Yeah, swath it Whatever that might be Um, Okay, so in our big outline of Romans uh, Before we kind of zoom in on these chapters for today In the big outline, we said our key phrase is The righteous shall live by faith And we saw that in chapter 1 And we're trying to break the book up according to those three big ideas um, and kind of mix up the wording some. The righteous by faith shall live is how I want to try and outline the letter. And we've already discussed the righteous, that being um, the unrighteous man and then righteous God. Uh, And that has covered the ground that we've covered so far. So leading up to 321, we've been talking about who are the righteous. Well, it's not man, it's God. And then when we get to chapter 3 and verse 21, we're starting a new section of by faith. And really all these points that Paul's going to bring up all the way until chapter 11 or through chapter 11 are going to be about that theme of justification by faith. And there are different nuances to that. Um, And so here this first big one is by faith we are justified. And that's going to be chapter 3. Verse 21, all the way to the end of chapter 5. And there are three, or excuse me, there are two big points under this. And the first one is that justification by faith comes apart from the law. And that's the first section here from chapter 3, 21, all the way to the end of chapter 4, and really also uh, to the first 11 verses of chapter 5. And here's the key verse. Here's why we're thinking that. Romans. Chapter uh, 3 and verse 28 says this. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So it just plainly states our uh, point of the outline there. And that's where the point comes from. Well, it's, it's
0: in verse 21 as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And there's that leads me to the first point under this. Uh, he's going to explain God's righteousness apart from the law. Uh, and he does that. At the end of chapter 3, so there's three big points under this, explanation, example, and effect. Uh, The explanation, he's going to say God's righteousness has been manifested, and that's in verse 21, uh, the verse you just brought up. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, it's been made clear, it's been shown, it can be clearly seen, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Um, And then we get down to verse 28, and we've already read that. Then we have this uh, flat-out statement of, look, the righteousness comes apart from the law. And so here's the example. Abraham. Uh, First of all, we have Abraham's gift. And uh, we'll read verses 2 through 5 of chapter 4 for that. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So what Paul is doing here, he makes the point, hey, everyone's in sin, the righteousness of God has now been made manifest, not according to the law, but according to grace. And now he's going to use Abraham as an example to prove that. And if you're a Jewish person reading this, you might be pretty skeptical of, well, God's righteousness has come apart from the law. Uh, I thought the law was what God gave us to be righteous with. So, I mean, it'd be be a hard truth to accept as a Jewish person. And so Paul here is going to say, hey, Abraham, even who you consider the greatest, uh, he was actually saved like this too. He was saved apart from the law, so you can be as well. And his first point under that is, Abraham's righteousness was not something he earned, was not something he worked to gain. It was given as a free gift. Um, He's also going to bring up Abraham's circumcision. Verses 9 and 10. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So he makes the point that it's not the works that you do that makes you righteous, because Abraham's works didn't make him righteous. And it's also not circumcision that makes you righteous, because circumcision came after Abraham was counted as righteous.
0: Makes it a pretty clever example to choose, because Abraham is the only male Jew never to have been well not to have had a period in his life where he was not circumcised yeah i mean there there yeah, were right. a number of jews who did not undergo circumcision throughout history i'm sure but lawfully he was there was a period of his life a vast swath of his life hmm. when nice. he was not circumcised and he's the only example paul could have found of that because he predated circumcision yeah it came in his days
1: Um, Yeah, that's a really good point to make. Um, So that leads us into Abraham's promise now. The promise, obviously, that he is going to be made a great nation. Uh, So now Paul's going to kind of move to not really attack it, but to show that this didn't come by works, it came by uh, faith. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Then look again in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. So now he's even introducing this idea of Abraham as the father of all who have faith in God, but he's showing that the promise, circumcision, and the fact that he was counted righteous were counted to him not just because of the things that he did, but because uh, because of the faith that he had. And the faith that he had led him to do some things, and that leads us into this final section on the example of Abraham, verses 18 to 25. Uh, it's just Abraham's faith. And he's going to show what Abraham's faith motivated him to do, how it moved him. Verse 18, he believed. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. He did not weaken in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And he was also fully convinced. Verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And then you have the explanation in verse twenty-two. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So there's a good application here. I think we'll discuss later about faith and works, um, how both need each other, and one is dead without the other. So there we have righteous or justification by faith apart from the law. And he's given us an example, or excuse me, he's given us an explanation first, then the example, and now we're going to get into the effect. Uh, verse 1, therefore, of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God in the first place. Number 2, we have access to God, access to grace. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace. We also have hope. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he goes on to talk about how we have hope in suffering. And then we have the love of God as well, a really interesting verse. I'm interested to get your take on in the next section, Drew, where he says, Hope does not put us to shame. This is verse 5 of chapter 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we have peace, we have access to grace, we have hope, we have the love of God in our hearts. And then finally we have justification and Reconciliation. We're in verse nine. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And now we have this second big section. So first of all, we're justified by faith apart from the law. We've discussed the the explanation, the example, and the effect, and now we're going to talk about justification by faith comes through the free gift.
0: Now let me ask you something here. Um, we're we're dividing the Book of Romans up into that that statement. Uh, we kind of turned it around. The righteous by faith shall live, mm-hmm. and uh, the first three chapters or so. We're the righteous The right. unrighteousness of man The righteousness of God We're in by faith Starting with chapter 3 verse 21 And we just covered the first point Under by faith Correct? Well we're we, we're we still moving in-
1: I've got point 1 is So we have the big outline of by faith And underneath that yeah. we have Justified by faith Right And we and just then, finished that Correct Not yet Almost We're still I'm putting effects. I'm putting with uh, Adam and Christ. This okay. example I'm putting with this uh, on a different subpoint. So, uh, uh,
0: but it's under your first. It's by under faith. justified. Okay, I'm yeah. trying to get our listeners to see what we're doing here and get the big picture and not lose the big picture. So yeah, we're going to have, so have several by faiths all the way through what chapter eleven.
1: Well, okay, let me back up here. And, um, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm
0: sorry, I got you off track. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I want to make sure everyone's following along.
1: Well, and you can make sure my outline makes sense here too. Uh, so we have late for that by faith. By faith, the big section is chapter three twenty one to the end of chapter eleven. So all oh, that's right. by faith, okay. and there are several points under by faith.
0: And today we're just covering one of them,
1: which is justified by okay. faith. Now, justified by faith. If that, justified by faith is Roman numeral one, okay. Then A underneath that is apart from the law. Okay. So right. justified by faith apart from the law, which is a phrase that we see in the text,
0: and, and we had an explanation, an example, and the effects. Right. And just now finish that.
1: And now point B is uh-huh. through the free gift. So right. we have. Okay. So if you read the outline, you have justified by faith A apart from works or apart from the law. Okay. And then B justified by faith through the free gift. Right. So okay, that's the idea. And then when we come back next week, we'll be on a whole different Roman numeral outside of this. Gotcha. But still under that big umbrella of by faith. Thanks for helping me uh, clarify okay. that,
0: or 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 slowing you down. No,
1: no. I think uh, I mean it's kind of there are so many little sub points. In this, it's kind of hard to follow the outline all the way through, so I'm glad yeah, we... Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's a very c- complex book. And yeah. And I just want to slow down and make sure our listeners are following with us here. But okay. we're ready, so we're ready for chapter 5, verse 12. Yes. Okay. So
1: we have, we're justified by faith through the free gift. Um, and here he's going to explain uh, something that he describes as the former later on, but in verse 12... Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one to come. So in verse 11, he closes out with this idea of uh, reconciliation. We're reconciled to God. And really, verses 12 to 21 is kind of uh, an explanation of that reconciliation, I guess, almost uh, a clarification of what it is. And he starts off with that trespass. Um, And then he goes in to talk about the free gift. And our key verses for that are verses 15 and 16. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many, and the free gift is not the result of that one man's. Is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So there's the idea. Uh, he mentions earlier that the free gift is through grace, and now here he says that the free gift brings about justification. So we have all this. Wrapped up, and there's a little bit left to the chapter, but that's where we're going to stop our reading. Um, those are the main points of chapter 321 all the way to the end of chapter 5. Drew, you got any other comments to make on that outline?
0: No, I think we've got our work cut out for us on uh, some of these passages as we go back through them uh, for both thinking about it and applying. So I think we need to take a break, get a breath, and uh, good. come back. So we can spend a lot of time on that.
1: Okay, so now we're going to think about being justified by faith. And we have seven verses in a list here that we thought were interesting or that we need to dive a little bit deeper into. Yeah, we're it's to...
0: like seven hard sayings. Yeah. We may do this for the rest. We're going to try this today. Mm-hmm. If it works out good to to cover a whole bunch in small snippets, we, we may just do this throughout yeah. the rest of Romans because Romans is full of these yeah. really difficult, heavy sayings. Yeah, that so many that we could spend our
1: entire hour talking about just yes. one, but we'll try and give you the this, this SparkNotes version um, on some of these, if everybody knows what SparkNotes is, um, the swath of verses we have. Okay, the first one is verse 25. <laughs> uh, it says that God in his divine forbearance passed over former sins. Uh, the reason this one's kind of a hard verse here is because the question arises, well, why did he pass over sin? I thought we just said that he's a righteous God and he has to punish sin. So if he's righteous and righteousness means he punishes sin, how can he pass over sins? We're talking about he doesn't care about sin. What does that mean? Well, no, that's not at all uh, what we're talking about here. The former sin likely refers to all the sin that was committed during the Old Testament era. That includes characters like Abraham and David. No, I should probably say historical figures. I don't want to give the idea I'm talking about a fictional character. Um, So the idea here I think is really explained in Hebrew or in Hebrews nine verse fifteen, sorry, I can't talk. Hebrews nine verse fifteen, uh, where he talks about uh, people being saved, all people for all time being saved by the cross. This is what it says in Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore, he talking about Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So it's not like those former sins were just passed over and they were never paid for. Christ came along and he paid for all the sins that were ever committed uh, before his death and after as well. There's that old phrase, you know, his blood from the cross flows backwards and forwards. Right. So that's a good way to think of it. Um, Our second tough verse is in verse uh, 31, the final verse of chapter 3. Where Paul says he sets up that argument of we're justified by grace not by the law, and then he says, "Do we then overthrow the law by this faith?" You prime you might expect him, expect him to say, "Yeah, yeah, we do," but yeah. he says, "Do we overthrow the law?" By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and this is the same guy who will later say, in chapter seven verse well. Earlier in chapter 7, he says you're dead to the law. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 7, verse 6, he will say we have been released from the law. Yeah, like just like so this a, makes it a difficult saying.
1: spouse is released from a marriage after Upon a death, death has occurred. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the question here is, well, Paul, if you say that we're released from it, but then here you say we're upholding it, which is it? Are we upholding it or are we released from it? Um, I think a good thing to think about is uh, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said something pretty similar uh, towards the beginning of the Sermon in chapter 5. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That is, to destroy, to wipe out completely the law of the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I think it's interesting to note that the law was not nullified by Christ in the sense of, you know, this thing's just a bunch of garbage. Why do we even have this? This was a bad idea. You know, it wasn't... A do-over. Yeah, it wasn't like a do-over. It was a fulfillment of the law that he set up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul's not teaching that we should live by the law of Moses today. He's making the point that we cannot be saved by works of the law of Moses, but that we're only saved uh, by faith in Christ. And what does faith lead us to do? We already talked about faith and works are two things that go hand in hand. one is dead without the other. A faith will lead you to keep the commands really to lead you to to follow Christ now obviously we're talking about the law of faith now uh, we switch mm-hmm. from the old law uh, but yeah, it, you
0: kind of have to answer this in two ways yeah uh, you know it's either law capital L or law lowercase l yeah, and to be honest, we're not sure. Or I'm not sure. I'm not going to speak for Andrew. I'm not sure which one he refers to,
1: but well, it's not capitalized. I'm reading ESV, and it's not a capital L. Yet. Well,
0: that you know that that was their decision. Yeah, and that's the safest decision. I'm not sure that they. I'm not sure in that translation if they capitalized the law when it's talking about the law of Moses. I know. I think the New American yeah. Standard Bible does that, but regardless. Uh, You know, I don't know if anybody is really sure if he's talking about the law of Moses or the concept of law, right and wrong. Either way, though, there is a New Covenant explanation for it because Christ upholds the law of Moses in the sense of the Sermon on the Mount that you just quoted, where he did not come to uh, destroy the law but to fulfill it or to achieve it. So all the types and the shadows and the forms and the symbols and the rituals that we're in the law in order to point to Christ, to be a guardian to Christ, they're fulfilled in Him. And then when it comes to the lowercase l for law, uh, the New Testament um, recognizes law. It is a law in and of itself. Later in chapter 6, verse 17, it will talk about being obedient to that standard of teaching to which you've been committed. Um, You know, Paul calls it a law and. The law of Christ in First Corinthians nine twenty one in Galatians chapter six verse two, um, moral precepts are continued of course over in the new covenant. Either way, you've got a good explanation whether it's capital L or lowercase L. Yeah, it's not really a problem for us. Yeah, um, we're not you know yeah. Seventh Day Adventists who we are keeping the Sabbath. Right. Uh, because th- of this verse.
1: Yeah, here's why I failed to mention this. Uh, It's interesting that that term for overthrow is defined, it can be defined as abolish. And so here Paul, and I think that's where I got that train of thought to take me to the Sermon on the Mount. Because Paul Mm -hmm. is saying, are we abolishing the law? No. Jesus said, did I come to abolish the law? No. Right. Came to fulfill it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. That leads us to our next one, uh, chapter 4 and verse 3, where Paul says that Abraham's faith is counted to him as righteousness. Now, this word "counted" is pretty interesting. Uh, pretty much conveys the idea that he was maybe not perfectly righteousness himself or righteous himself, but he was treated like he was righteous. He was pronounced as righteous, even though he might not have been. Right. You've got some more stuff on that, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, we know Abraham wasn't righteous all on his own. I mean, I can think of, like, how many times did he go into a city and lie and say, Sarah's my sister, and even let uh, one of the kings take her into his chambers. I mean, he was just going to let something happen, and God intervened. and said, you need to return her to her husband and ask him to pray for you, for he is a prophet. And, uh, you know, it was... I, you know i can't imagine doing something like that of course i've never been in danger like he was but i can't imagine doing something like that to my wife just handing her over to a guy yeah. against her will and so i'm not saying you know i'm not trying to pick on abraham we all sin yeah but he wasn't righteous on his own merit which is why he's an example here of being justified by faith yeah i think so, that's
1: the key phrase uh, he's not Justified by his own merit, because then even Paul says right after that, the one who works, his his wages aren't a gift; they're his due. That's what he's earned.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the the there's a metaphor here in the verb counted or imputed, as some translations have it, and it's of an accountant's logbook. So it's like God has this ledger, and on one side He has your sins, and on one side He has your righteousness. And so instead of marking something in the righteous column for you based on your merit, your wages, he took Christ's righteousness and your faith in that, your dependence on that, and he counted that as righteousness. Yeah. So Jesus was righteous for you. He took Jesus' as righteousness and he counted it as your righteousness. That's what he did with Abraham. Yeah. That's what he does with us. And that so is
1: the good news of the gospel, yes, right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is no good news if that's not yeah. true.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Um, okay, so this next one we have uh, starts in verse nine, really goes to the end of verse twelve, is about Abraham's circumcision. Yeah. And Drew, there's some stuff here on circumcision as maybe kind of a, I'm not just a shadow, a right word. Uh, yeah, yeah. Type for baptism.
0: mm Hmm. Yeah, well, some have said that we're not, we're not saying that. Okay. Some have, some made it a parallel because they don't want to make baptism necessary for salvation, and uh, so you know circumcision was a seal of your covenant with God. Yeah, it was a mere external symbol of what had, was already going on. Yeah, and that's what baptism is called by a number of religious groups. Not something that comes before your salvation um, As a part of your Obedience to the gospel But as something that happens after your salvation As a sign or a seal And so uh, there, there are a number of contrasts though That we can draw between Circumcision and uh, baptism And uh, I'll just throw out a few of them For us to think about First of all Circumcision came along sometime after God established this system of justification by faith with Abraham. But, um, you know, whenever the New Covenant was established, on the very first day, Peter preached, repent and be baptized. So there's a difference. Another difference is that circumcision is a physical permanent sign, but baptism is an action. It doesn't continually mark somebody. I mean, you know, like circumcision did. Uh, another difference is circumcision is never m- mentioned in conjunction with salvation. You don't hear um, "be circumcised and be saved," but baptism yeah. over and over and over again is mentioned in conjunction with salvation in passages like Acts two thirty-eight, Acts twenty-two sixteen, First Peter three twenty-one, John three three through five, and others. And then finally, um, in this passage, circumcision is shown to occur following justification, but baptism is shown to be prior to justification, like in Saul of Tarsus' case, where Ananias said, Why do you wait, rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins? So even after three days of prayer and fasting, Saul of Tarsus had sins that needed to be washed away, which occurred at the time of baptism. So there are a lot of differences between circumcision and baptism. They are not parallels. Yeah. Baptism is not merely a seal of a covenant but it's something that you do um, in order to get into the covenant.
1: Yeah, it's. I think the roots of baptism are pretty interesting, or how it at least started to appear in Judaism. Because by the time we get to John, the Baptist in the Gospels, all of a sudden he's baptizing people, and you know that's the first time we see it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question, I mean, for me, is well, why on earth does John all of a sudden? baptizing people like where where did he get the idea where did it come from uh, it was even used in you know before John leading I don't have the dates for this uh, just got some pretty uh, shallow research but enough to know that it was it was something done when Jews would bring Gentiles into Judaism when they'd bring a proselyte in yeah they would physically wash them uh, you know to make them ceremonially clean quote unquote to right. make them clean. And it's so,
0: probably after the Old Testament period, right? Because yeah, sometimes not the inter- in the Law of Moses.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I think it had to do with uh, rabbinic traditions. That's yeah, I of do thing. too. I think I think that's true. But I think it that just goes to show that baptism, you know, is not intended to be that kind of a just a symbol. You know, it's not just a uh, like circumcision. I think of akin to a wedding ring, and we've already made that illustration here. Baptism is not like that because you don't wear it on you all the time. Yeah. It's something uh much different. Yeah. Um, I think that was a really good explanation of that, Drew. Uh that's yeah. really interesting.
0: We could say more and I'm sure that people who disagree with us would say we're missing a lot of things, but keep in mind we're just touching these quickly yeah. uh so that we can cover more of them for you and it may raise questions and feel free to email us or post uh, we would love on our to our Facebook or yeah, comment on our send website. Send us a tweet. Uh yeah. we could uh Talk about it more. We'd love to do that.
1: Hashtag circumcision. Yeah, <laughs> well, I bet that's a popular hashtag. On I don't Twitter. know if I want to step into that world, but <laughs> uh,
0: let's go to another one here. Chapter four, verse fifteen. Um, you know, Paul says the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Um, that may cause us to need to revisit chapter one again, maybe. Yeah. Uh if people take that too far and say, Well, if I can just avoid seeing law, then I can be I can't be accused of sin on judgment day. Yeah. And then and then you've also got the interesting idea that law of God, mm-hmm. something holy and good, brings yeah. the wrath of God. Yeah. So what's that all about?
1: I think I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head with the big questions here. And I think you know the law brings wrath simply because people can't keep it. Uh, It doesn't bring wrath just because it's wrong or because it doesn't have any intrinsic value in and of itself. Uh, Like you said, chapters 1 and 2, the Gentiles didn't keep it, the Jews didn't keep it, and for that reason, Paul says, the wrath of God was revealed from heaven Mm -hmm. against unrighteousness. Um, So the law in and of itself, uh, it brings wrath because people can't keep it. I mean, and it brings wrath, because obviously if you break the law, then the wrath is coming on you, and nobody can keep from breaking the law. So the law itself is not wrathful, but the...
0: Right, and the reason it brings wrath is the law is the righteousness of God codified. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, God's revelation of himself. So if you violate the law, you violate God. You rebel against God. And the natural reaction that he has is, is wrath. Yeah. Um because it is... Because he's righteous. Yeah, he's he's righteous. Yeah. Okay, Uh, Drew,
1: this one is really interesting to me. All right. and I know you are well-versed in this. 5 verse 5, where it talks about God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
0: Yeah, well, I don't want to separate this from the context, which is, um, you know, since we've been justified by faith, and you called this... The effects of justification by faith. So, since we have that, we have peace with God, verse 1. Uh, We have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, verse 2. And we have joy. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And he expands on that, saying we even rejoice in our sufferings. And he says, because suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So hope produces joy. We get Justification gives us hope. Hope gives us joy. Yeah. Joy because God poured love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how does that work? You know, How does the yeah. Holy Spirit pour love into our hearts, giving mm-hmm. us joy? And, um, you know, I think you need to go back and visit how the Holy Spirit works. And it all starts in John 14 through 16 where Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he's preparing them for his departure, his death and ascension. And he tells them that it's necessary for him to go because if he goes, the Lord will send another helper. And uh, this helper will guide them into all the truth, John 16:13. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the apostles, and I emphasize it was just they, uh, they were the ones that Jesus was speaking with in John 14 through 16. They were the ones assembled together in Acts chapter 2. And so they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, those 12 men. And uh, then they began speaking in tongues and preaching the gospel. And we have a Mm -hmm. record of what Peter said in Acts 2. Now... They were the inspired ones They were the ones the Holy Spirit was preaching and teaching through And they were the ones through whom the written word of God came And yeah. so we read that uh, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 And we know that the inspired word of God came through Through the Spirit in words First Corinthians 2, verse 13 So, you know here's here's how the Spirit pours love into our hearts through the scriptures. I mean, that's just as much the Spirit speaking to us as if He were speaking to us in a dream or directly in your head or booming from heaven or giving you little feelings. In fact, I think it's very, it's clearer than any of those other forms or mediums because when you have the written word, you can read it, you can read it again, you can You can um, study it, memorize it. Um, It's there with you in a permanent form. And uh, some examples are, you know, one, I guess we'll just look at the one in the text, which is chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. If you're wanting to know, well, what did the Spirit pour into our hearts? He poured that Christ died for the ungodly. He poured into our hearts that God shows His love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He poured into our hearts that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by His death, by the death of His Son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. So that, that's what—that's the love of God that's been poured into our hearts. It gives us joy and allows us to rejoice even in our sufferings, which is a result of justification by faith. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not a real short answer, but... The best answer that I can give. Yeah, well, uh, I don't think it has a short answer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it a, doesn't. It's pretty deep, layered text there. Yeah, as the whole book of Romans really is.
1: Yeah, and so that leads us to our seventh and final uh, passage here, and that's verses twelve through fourteen, uh, which we read in the reading, just as a refresher. It talked about sin coming into the world through one man and death through sin. So we have this idea of original sin with Adam.
0: Yeah. Well we don't we don't have it from the text, but oh, yeah. this is a proof that's this the, is a proof text that people use to say, you know, here's total depravity. Yeah. here's the idea that babies are born sinful. Right. Here's the idea that we inherit Adam's sin born like original a, sin.
1: A curse on you, I guess, is a good way yeah, to think born of it. Under Nothing the you curse. can do about it. You know even as like you said, even as an infant you're in sin. Which I think is something that we would take issue with.
0: Yeah. He said, he does say that sin came into the world through one man. But that is a that is a statement, surely we all understand, that is a statement that is open to much interpretation. I mean, mm-hmm. if you take it outside the context of the Bible. Yeah. But you have to put every statement in the context of the overall story of the Bible. And the overall story of the Bible is that, you know everyone is held responsible for his own sins not the sins of his father ezekiel 18:20 yeah that children are innocent um you know uh, matthew chapter 18 verse 3 um and you know I, just to stay in romans one passage that's really interesting to me is over in uh, romans chapter 7 which we'll talk about this maybe again when we come to this but um, if you look at that uh, I'm trying to it was, It's verse 9 What does this mean in the? If you take original sin If you believe in original sin I was once alive Apart from the law But when the commandment came Sin came alive And I died Now original sin Says that you're spiritually dead From the day you start crying After birth yeah, Like from the moment you're born, you're dead, and then in some traditions you're baptized as an infant, in other traditions you are elected to be saved, and so you have the opportunity to to um, believe and be saved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. My question is, when was Paul once alive, apart from the law, if the doctrine of original sin is true? When was that? Um, while he was in utero? Yeah. Or, I mean, there's no other time. It doesn't leave there's you not, any time, yeah. It doesn't give you much time, no.
1: Yeah, so it looks like he's saying pretty much before he knew the command, he was alive. Right, but before then when what we it,
0: call before the age of accountability.
1: Before you can... And I think this is interesting since we're talking about Adam because I think it's the idea of of knowing right from wrong. Think about when Adam... yeah. That's good. I mean, even, well, they were given the command, don't eat from the tree, but what was that tree? The knowledge of good and evil. And when they knew the difference between good and evil, and they ate that fruit, and they saw, I mean, they were they already sinned because they had already chosen to break the command. But, you know, from then on, that's, yeah. you know, how man got the ability to determine between good and evil. And once you realize, and that, you know, that explains the questions of what about people who are mentally handicapped, yeah. Uh, you know, if they can never determine right and wrong, the law never comes in. Right. You know, so
0: it also helps you it, parents dealing with children and when when should they be baptized? Um, that's that's a difficult decision, and sometimes children yeah. are asking for this when they're very very young. And the question is, has the law entered into this child's life? Yeah. Where they really know right from wrong, and they have a conscience that. Is plaguing them over their wrongs. Yeah, um, you know, with a three-year-old, I would say that is yeah. not the case. So, um, you know, we could again. There's a lot more we could say about that, but we'll stop it right there. I think that gives a brief answer to all seven of those points. Yeah, and, and then,
1: again, if, if there's any anybody out there with more questions or counterpoints or anything, find us on Facebook. Uh, find us on. The Internet sixty six sixty six is the number. Leave us a comment. Uh, mm-hmm. Send us something. We'd be happy to respond.
0: Or tweet us.
1: Yeah, or tweet us. But yeah. you can't. What What's the limit on a tweet? It's one hundred forty characters. One hundred forty characters.
0: We'll just keep uh, doing them though. You so know, if you, you got a short part question, one. I see this a lot on Twitter where it's like uh, in parentheses one. One of two, and then oh, yeah, yeah one yeah. one slash two, and then two slash two, or we will answer all your Bible, Bible, Bible questions
1: via Twitter. 140 characters I like, Twitter because,
0: <laughs> I like Twitter because I, I can you know cut it off oh yeah it makes you be it's brief it's something I have a difficult time doing as yeah. listeners to this podcast know but, but we'll we need go to ahead. cut it off right now don't we and take a break
1: that's what we call a segue yes ladies and gentlemen yeah, so <laughs> uh,
0: we're gonna take a, take a little break and when we come back we'll do our application Let's take a look at uh, some of the things that we talked about and make application. I say some of the things because there's no way that we could possibly bring out all the practical act- elements of this text, but we will do our best to bring out some of them. And, uh, you know, this episode is on justification by faith. This is where the system is really expounded upon by the Apostle Paul. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you the characteristics of the justification and the characteristics of the faith using two passages in chapter 3 and chapter 4. So I'm going to handle the characteristics of the justification. And this comes from chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. There are seven of them that we can go through really quickly here. Number one, this is justification by faith that is apart from the law. The law had served its purpose. Uh, Now it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and it is time for a new covenant, and this covenant brings justification apart from the law of Moses. Number two, it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Man is not able to obey the law, so a sacrifice has to be made to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And uh, because of the significance of this sacrifice... Uh, we can put our faith in the one who died for us To save us from sin And that is how this works Number three Justification is for all who believe Not just for the Jews Not just for the Gentiles Not just for a certain race or ethnicity Or for a <laughs> got a phone going here Not just for a certain group of people But for all, for everyone Number four Justification is given... Andrew,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, this thing just pushed the buttons in my pocket, and it's freaking out. <laughs> we might cut that in editing. Sorry, man. Uh, no, my technology is cool. just really enjoying your your uh, yeah there, applications. There, I'll take it uh, as
0: a compliment. Yeah, I'm on number four. I'm not over here playing them the qualities up. of the justification. Paul says it's by his grace. Uh, this is verse 24, I believe. That means it's not deserved, it's not earned, you know no one, has, no one is worthy of it, but it comes uh, from a gift of God. Now the fact that it was given by God does not mean it didn't cost anything. A number five justification is a gift that came at great cost to God. It was uh, displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood, meaning Jesus' blood. And uh, number six, I said seven points, or just six points here. Uh, Justification is a process that stayed true to the nature of God. You know, if God overlooked the sins of the past, um, if he forgives sin, someone might accuse him of unrighteousness, violating his righteous nature. But Paul declares him in verse 26 to be both just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. And so those six points, you know, summarize the system of justification by faith that we have through Christ in the New Testament. And that handles the characteristics of justification. Now, we'll go over to chapter 4, and we'll see some characteristics of the faith. Yeah. Given, exemplified through Abraham, who's a great example of, of this.
1: Yeah, and we kind of flew through these on the outline, but there's obviously a ton of application here. For us today, uh, why was Abraham righteous? What was that? What does that faith look like? I guess is a good question to ask. What does a faith that justifies you look like? What does it do? Uh, well, in verse eighteen, we have the first point uh, that he he had hope. He had hope. Uh, in hope, verse eighteen of chapter, chapter four, four right? yeah, I'm sorry, uh, says in hope he believed against hope. So I guess there's really two things there. He believed and he had hope. Uh, the belief really produced hope in him. Um, and we already talked about some of the things about hope in chapter 5. Um, he also did not weaken, in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old.
0: Our apologies to all. I was going to call over the yeah, name yeah, older people, centagenarians. Oh. Uh, we mean no offense.
1: Yeah, we're not trying to say you're as good as dead. Um, or but when he considered, he yeah,
0: when it came when it came to bearing to fathering a child. Yeah, right. It was as good as a dead. Yeah, that's that.
1: That. that's the idea here. Yeah. Bearing children, not just your life in general. Um, <laughs> and there's something here. I think I'll make mention before I move on, so don't forget it. Uh, he didn't weaken in his faith, even though he had a reason to. You know. Yeah. Uh, it says he didn't weaken, even though his body. Was not able to do that, and neither was his wife's body, but he kept believing. You know, I think that's where that in hope he believed against hope. Um, he was given a lot of reasons not to hope, but he kept on hoping. Uh, he did not weaken, and in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver. So he was unwavering concerning the promise of God, and he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And he could do that because of verse 21, I think. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, and that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And I think that that last phrase there, fully convinced, is kind of you know almost a foundation for the other ones. Think about it. The belief uh, comes in being fully convinced. Hoping comes in that, that assurance, that conviction of being fully convinced. Uh, it gives you the ability not to weaken and not to waver because you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that is true. You know if you believe that God is um, who he who he says he is, who uh, he reveals himself to be in this Word, and you believe the promises that he's given to us, and you are fully convicted of that, fully convinced of that. Well, then I think that kind of faith is able to do great things. You know, that kind of faith can stand up against uh, reasons to not believe. It can stand up against reasons to doubt. Uh, Abraham, you know, surely he went through his doubts, and obviously there are a few times where his doubts actually uh, came to some kind of fruition, Um, even with, you know, he was trying to protect himself, really, I guess more so than his wife, because he thought they were going to take his wife and kill him, so yeah. he was uh, yeah. trying to protect himself there. You know his faith in God. There was a doubt that actually came into something there, um, there as doubt that came in uh, that produced uh, Ishmael. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the doubt that he wasn't yeah. sure going to have a son through the way God promised. So I mean, doubts arise, and sometimes those doubts affect us, just as they affected. Abraham, but the great news is this in verse 23 and 24 and I guess we'll throw 25 in there too, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, so here we have a really, I think a really cool thing, you know it's Paul's making an application here not us Paul saying this wasn't this isn't just written for Abraham it's written for us too uh, certainly that applied to the Roman <clears throat> readers of this letter but it applies to us you know uh, a couple thousand years almost a few thousand years later reading this still applies directly to us um, this is written for our sake too because if we have the same kind of faith, If we have the same kind of belief, it will be counted to us as the same kind of righteousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's what we're doing for application. we got several points on what justification is and several points on what faith is. If you're confused about the system, then those two passages of Scripture, basically the end of chapter 3 and the end of chapter 4, Clarify a lot of a lot of all this all the stuff that we saw in between Well, we appreciate you joining us for this. Uh, you know, we covered uh, two and a half chapters there There's quite a bit of material that we were able to get through And so we know that you have questions as we've said over and over and again in this podcast Please contact us. Give us questions uh, we, we like to hear feedback and like to know what our listeners are thinking Um, I'm going to hop off here and teach Andrew how to silence his phone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll stay with it and uh, look forward to going through some more episodes in the future. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.